If you're just joining us, we're, we're in a series that we kicked off last week on Moses, the life of Moses, a legendary figure of faith. And Moses was somebody who wrestled with his identity in the first portion of his life. Moses, if you were here last week, you saw he ran from his calling, but he couldn't run from who God made him to be. God had made him to be a rescuer. and God had a purpose for his life. And we're going to see today as we turn to God's word that God gives him his assignment. Here's what I want you to understand. Just as you're going to hear about Moses' assignment, you need to know this. God has an assignment for you. Do you know that? Do you know that his assignment for your life isn't just to work a mundane job? It's not just to make it through life. But it is somehow to make an impact on this world for God. There's a purpose behind your life. Every breath that you breathe in and out was prescribed by God for a very purpose. And I think there are a lot of people that don't realize that. Moses spends, after he runs away from Egypt, 40 years in a wilderness. 40 years. He's stuck in a dead-end job as a shepherd. 40 years have gone by. He's now 80 years old as we pick up his story. And if you think that maybe you're too old or you've let too many years go by for God to use you, you ought to take a look at Moses and his life. And Moses, one day in his boring job, can you imagine every day all you have is sheep? You take them out to find something for them to eat. The, I mean, it's like dead-end job of all dead-end jobs. And Moses is out one day. It is a boring day. It is a Tuesday. He's excited about Taco Tuesday when he gets back, but he has nothing else to look forward to. And all of a sudden, he sees this image of a bush that appears to be on fire, though it is not burning. And when he approaches it, God speaks to him from it. And, and God tells him that he's heard the cry of his people in Israel who have been oppressed. And then God gives Moses his assignment. I wanted to read this to you if you just remain standing as I read this portion to you today. Because I believe that God has an assignment for all of us. And today I want us to dive into that. I hope that challenges you today. This message is going to be a little challenging. And I am excited to preach it. So you better be excited to receive it today. If last week was an eight, this week's going to be a nine. At least that's the way I feel about it. Here's, here's what God said to Moses. He said, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, don't worry about that. I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. How many of you prefer God give you a sign on the other side of it? Not when you get through it, but before it. And Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, well, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, everybody read this five words with me out loud. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses tells God, I, I'm going to need some form of ID. I need to see your driver's license. I need a power of attorney before I go on a mission like this. 
How many of you know sometimes God isn't going to give you the power of attorney, but he will give you the power of his spirit to do it. Amen today. Are you ready to receive this word? Father, I pray right now that you would open our hearts. And I pray, God, that this message that you have placed in my heart is not just a Bible study. But I ask God that you would penetrate our hearts. I pray, God, that you would make us uncomfortable with your word today. That, God, you would light a fire within us about the very mission, the purpose that you have created each of us for. And so, God, I pray that you would use me right now to speak the very things that you have inspired through your word. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, amen, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. So good to be in church today. I want to welcome everyone at our Lancaster campus. If you're watching this online, of course, everyone here in Lithopolis, the busting metropolis of Lithopolis. Um, how many of you ever feel like just be honest, time goes really fast. Raise your hand if you feel like time. Every parent should hold their hand up. Time goes so quick. And I have found that if you blink, um, you, you will wake up one day and wonder if you have done all that God really wanted you to do. I find all of us will come to grips with that at some point. It goes so fast that sometimes we can almost feel like we're wasting our lives. I wonder if Moses felt a little bit like he had wasted his life. 40 years he grows up in Egypt and God really uses every experience that he has for his purpose and his calling but then he kills a man and then runs away from it. And he runs into the wilderness and then spends the next 40 years in the most boring job you could ever imagine. He's a, he's a shepherd. No offense if you're a shepherd. I don't know if we got any shepherds here. But, like, I don't know. It's just, to me, that's boring, right? Every day, get the sheep out. Come on, Frank. Come on, Betty. Come on, you know what I mean? And you just got to take them someplace. And, and you're out there by yourself. And he is in a rut. He's in a dead-end job. That's his life. That's what he's doing. And, 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 and here he is thinking maybe his whole life is wasted. By the way, Scripture tells us in other places that he's 80 years old when he has this encounter with God. He sees a bush that is burning, but is not burning. Have you ever heard this story? It's always referred to as the burning bush, but yet it wasn't burning. So I don't know why we call it the burning bush. I just like to think of it that it was lit. Moses has a moment where he sees a bush that's lit. Okay, this, this moment is lit for him. And Moses in this moment approaches God and God speaks to him from this and God gives him an assignment. This is what God does. Now, I want to get to our assignment. I think there's something in Moses' story that parallels our story in the way that God has an assignment for him. He's got one for you. He's got one for me. But before we can get to the challenge of our assignment or our calling, we first need to talk a little bit about who God is. Can I talk a little bit about who God is first? Is that okay if I could do that? I just take a little bit to talk about who God is first because here's the challenge I see in our world today. We talked about this last week. So many of us are in identity crisis. We're all trying to figure out who we are. I see this oftentimes, especially if you're younger, identity crisis. Who am I? We're all trying to discover that. But can I tell you this, that if you spend your life trying to discover who you are, 
before you discover who God is, you're going to find out who you are without God. This is what I see in college students, and I'm not here to pick on college students, but I've seen this play out in our colleges. You know, we're pushing people, and I said this last week, and I, I think as a society, we're pushing people into college that, I mean, they don't know what they want to do, but we're going to pay for it anyways. And you know what college students do when they don't know what to do? They're going to do whatever they want to do, and they're going to party, and they're going to play, and they're going to date who they want to date, and they're going to do whatever makes them feel good, and they're going to follow their heart. And you see college, that's often the age where people are going, I'm just trying to find out who I am. But here's the thing. If you discover who you are, but you do that without first discovering who God really is, I, I'm not sure you're going to like who you discover. Because who I am without God is not great. I, mean, I know you might think it is. You all listen to me pretty like, oh, he seems like a great guy. If you had known me before I discovered God in my life, who I am is not great. And I battle it all the time. I'm selfish. You all know I like to be first in line. I don't like to go at the end. I don't want the scraps. I want what's uh, like, that's just me. I'm selfish. I can be insensitive. My wife might tell you I'm a jerk. I think I'm always right. Okay. I'm just telling you, this is who I am apart from God. Now it's a battle with God, but it's who I am apart from God and and I think this is why we have men who hit 38 years old and they're out buying things that they can't afford and then cheating on their wives because they've got a midlife crisis because we're discovering who we are but not first discovering who God really is and so so Moses I think has to have this moment with this bush before he can begin to fulfill his calling he has to have this moment Moses asks God this question. It's, it's kind of an obvious question in verse 13. He, he said to him, suppose I do this. Suppose I, I go back to Egypt and I tell him, God spoke to me. Right? That God sent me here. He says, um, who do I say sent me? What do I tell them is his name? That's a little bit of a, an odd question for maybe some of us. I don't know, we just call him God. Or today, because we have Jesus, we call him Jesus. But, but if you put yourself in the context of Moses for just a moment, Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt, and so he knows immediately how they think. He knows how the Israelites think because they spent 40 years in an Egyptian culture that was not only that, but a polytheistic culture. I need to kind of explain this so you can understand what God's really trying to say here. See, in, in a polytheistic culture, they don't believe or don't recognize or know one true God. And so everything in life that they cannot explain, they call it a God. Well, the sun, I don't know. It's just this big ball of fire that comes up every day. And then it goes away every day. This is the understanding of life. And so they, they said, I don't know. We call, we call that big ball of fire Ra because the sun and Ra. And so I guess Ra is a god. This is the sun god. And, and so they would do this. Or, or like the sky. They were like, we can't explain the sky. We don't understand. Sometimes it's clear. And then sometimes it seems like sky god is mad at us. And there's clouds and heavy rain and thunder. And so we don't know. And you, by the way, the name for the sky is Zeus. That's what the name for the word for sky. And so we, we have a god called Zeus that commands the, the heavens. 
Or when we go to battle and we fight, and I don't understand why sometimes we win, but then sometimes they win. And so there must be a God controlling all of this. And we have no idea, but we just, there must be a God of war. Therefore, they had a God named Ares, the God of war. If you look up mythology and Greek mythology and beyond, they had a God and they would label that God by the attribute of that God. So Moses says, okay, lit. God, am I supposed to say burning but not burning bush God? Like what, what, what is your label? What's your name? And I love God's response, right? God says what? Everybody say it out loud if you remember it. God says, I am who I am. First name I am, middle initial W, last name I am, right? Is that what he's saying? My name, I am, I am, that's my name. Right? I am who I am. No, he was not saying that's my name. What he was trying to do was make a, a broader point. What he was trying to say really is, listen, I understand everybody thinks that one attribute, one label, one definition seems to describe those gods. But what you need to know about me, Moses, is there is no single label that can define me. There's no one attribute that can adequately describe me. I am more than just one. I'm not just the God of the sky. I'm also the God of the earth because I made the earth too. I'm not just the God at war, but I'm also the God at peace. I'm not just the God of the beginning. I'm the God of the end. There is no beginning, no end. He just says, I am. I am. I just, I am. When Jesus showed up, what did he say? He said, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am, this is God's way of defining him. And here's why. So that we can't limit him. When you ascribe a single attribute or label to God, and that is your only perspective of God, you have just put him in the smallest box ever. God, God, God is love. I know, but God is also just. So this is what we do in our culture. We, we want to pick one attribute of God that we like and leave out the rest. God is a God of grace. I love my grace God. He's all grace all the time. No, that's not true. He's also full of truth. And here's what this means for you, and here's what it means for me. This is so important. What God was trying to say to Moses, Moses, I know I'm sending you to do something that you feel like you can't do, but here's what you need to know. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever you need, whatever you lack, I am. Whatever you don't have, I have. Whatever you don't know about your future, I know. I am. I am that God. Listen, you might be here today and say, I am broke. I am, we have nothing. God wants you to know he is your provider, Jehovah Jireh. You might come today battling a sickness, say, I, I am sick. God would say to you, I am your healer. You might come here today feeling defeated. God would say, I am the lifter of your head. God says, whatever you need, I am. I am. You know what's so great about that is, is that if we will just take the, the lid off of God for just a moment, it just means that all of us are in a very different place. But we can all come to the same God who says, I, I am. You can't define me. Don't, don't try to label me with a name, Moses. It won't work. That, that, that makes me too small. I am. 
And, and I would argue that Moses has to have this moment because here's the thing. Until you have a proper view of God, you'll never have a proper view of yourself. You won't. Until you see God for who he really is, you're going to be very limited in how you see your own life. I promise you that. Because you will always feel like you can't, and you don't have enough, and you won't measure up for the very thing that God's going to call you to do. See, last week we talked about how Moses ran away from his calling. He ran away from it, but he couldn't run away from who he, he really was. Now God is, is presenting with him another opportunity. He, Forty more years go by in the wilderness. Oh, by the way, if you're here today and you feel like you're in a wilderness type place, I know it feels awful. Maybe you feel like you've been wandering. But I also want you to know that sometimes only after you go through a wilderness will you be prepared for the calling or the purpose that God has for you. And so if you're in a wilderness, how do I know that? Because Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he stepped into his calling and ministry on this earth. Moses, it took 40 years. And finally, in this moment, God says, here's your opportunity. Go back to Egypt. Now imagine if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I remember all the wanted posters that they put up for me. They said wanted, dead or alive. You, you know what I'm talking about? All those posters that were, that were up there. I, I don't know that I can do it. You, you want me to go do that? Ooh. And so what Moses says to him next in Exodus 4, that's where we're going to be. What he says to him next is his response to God's calling. And I find some similarities in what he says to probably how we respond to God very often. Here, here's what he said, Exodus 4, 1. Moses answered and he said, these two little words, come on, everyone say them out loud with me. He said, what if, come on, we're going to do it again. Lancaster, I need to hear you. I couldn't hear you. Ready? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Or say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses does what so many of us do when we're presented with an opportunity to step into the calling, the purpose, the destiny, whatever you want to call it. He responds with what if. What if? What, what, if, what if they don't listen to me? What if they say, you're crazy? What if they say, who, who was a witness at it? What if they say, did you hear those voices in your head? What, what if they, they won't do what I asked? What if, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if, can I ask you a question? Have you ever said those words when an opportunity arises in your life? I bet all of us have. What if we move here and it's miserable? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Right? What if I take the job and it's, I don't know, it's, it's terrible and I get let down. I know, but you complain about your job every single day now. But you ever done that? There's something about what if that tends to grab us where we're afraid to step into it. What, what, what if I'm not good enough? What, what if we start this business and it fails? What if we take this risk and buy this and then it doesn't work? What if? Have you ever found yourself saying what if all the time? I believe that those two words, what if, I would write them down, I would dwell on it this week. What if those two words, I believe, are the most powerful words that we might say when it comes to God's purpose in our lives? What if? You see, those two words have the power to create the future that God has for you, but it also has the same power to keep you from it. What if? I think we could all agree in Moses' life that this moment 
in front of this bush, this, this bush that's lit, that's not burning, this moment he has, I think we all agree this is a pivotal moment in his life. Would you all agree with that? Like if there's no bush, there's no Moses and Ten Commandments and all this stuff, like this moment is pivotal. And here's Moses at the, at the opportunity that's in front of him. And he says, what if, what if, what if? Was I want to talk to you today about the pivot point. This is his pivot point. What if is a pivot point? Everybody say pivot point. What if is a pivot point in your life? I'm going to show you this. this is, we're going to get real with this. It's a pivot point. In other words, it can go one way or it can go another way. And here's the thing. If your what if, your perspective is guided by fear, you will always say what if it fails. What if we don't have enough? What if I'm not good enough to play with the band? I don't know if I can handle the rejection. What if I don't know enough to teach those kids? What if I'm not qualified to lead this? What if we start the small group and nobody shows up? What if I invite them to church and they think I'm weird and never speak to me again? What if, what if they ask me questions about my faith? And I don't know, I don't know what to say. What if it is a pivot point? This is a pivotal moment. You have pivotal moments. It's a pivot point. How are you going to pivot? Moses says, what if? Now, here's the problem. Moses is focused on himself. He has this bush that's on fire, but it's not on fire. He has a voice speaking to him from out of the fire. But if, if you didn't catch this when Moses responds in Exodus 4.1, let me read it to you again. Let me give some emphasis on some different part of it. Here's what Moses answered God. He said, what if they do not believe who? Me. Or listen to whom? Me. And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Who's Moses looking at? Himself. This is what we do. When God says, I, I want you to step up into this. I want you to try this. I want you to go on this mission trip. I want you to give something to these people. I want you to go speak to them. I want you to, no, 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 I, I, I don't, I don't, me, I can't, I don't, I'm not good enough, I don't have this. Here's, here's the problem. Again, I told you, until your view of God is correct, your view of yourself will never be correct. When your view of your inability is greater than God's ability, it will always cut out your destiny from you. When your view of your inability, well, I can't, I'm not very good at this, I don't have a great voice, and I'm not really good with a microphone, and I don't know that I understand the Bible well enough, and I don't know. When your view of your inability outweighs God's ability, you have already taken a step backwards in your pivot. You pivoted the wrong way. That's where we live in fear. Fear lives in the space of what if I can't? What if I'll never be able to? What if me, 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 me? But, 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 what if, what if, what if faith is your perspective? What if it's not fear? Now, here's the pivot. Here's what I need you to understand. What if it's not fear, but what if faith is your perspective? In other words, what, what if instead of saying, I can't, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to, we're not good enough, we don't have enough money, what if faith was your pivot, and instead of looking at what you don't have, you looked at who God is? Let me explain this to you. If you're a basketball player, you'll get How many play basketball? If you play basketball, raise your hand. If you play basketball, okay. Well, most of you don't play basketball, so you're not going to understand this. But for the 10 of you in Lithopolis that do, 
in basketball, when you pick up your dribble, you have to keep one foot on the ground, and that foot is called the what? The pivot foot. All right, so you do know basketball, okay? You just don't play it. I get it, I get it. So, so, so you, you, your foot, when, when you pick up the dribble, in other words, when you're moving the ball forward, okay, as long as you're moving forward, you, you can just dribble and keep moving. But what happens when you get to a season of your life when the ball isn't moving forward? In other words, when the ball is in your hands, in that moment, you have to keep one foot on the ground. The other foot can move. This is called your pivot foot, okay? This is, this is a basketball term, pivot foot. When fear controls your mind, your what-if statements are always, what if we can't, what if we fail, what if I can't do this? What if I screw? This is what our mind does. And when that happens, what you're doing is you're pivoting away from your purpose. But if your what if statements are actually guided by faith. Now, this is so hard because what we want to do is operate by what I can do, what I can see. But the Bible tells us as Christ followers that we're not to walk by sight, but to walk by what? Faith. We're supposed to walk by faith. When you walk by faith, your what if statements start to change. And all of a sudden it's like, well, what if I do ask her and she says yes? Well, she said, no, I, I, just, I just don't know if I can handle rejection. Yeah, but what if she says yes? You might be missing out on the most important decision of your life right here with this woman. What, what if? What, what if we do move there and, and the kids, they hate it and they don't do well in school? I'm pivoting away. Yeah, but what if they actually do step in and it's the greatest move ever for them and it gets them around new friends and you get plugged into a new community of faith and all of a sudden it changes their spiritual destination. I guess what I'm saying is, what if those two words, they have the power to move you toward your purpose, but they also have the same power to move you away from it? Some of you look confused. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you how this has played out in my life. God, when God called me to ministry, I've had several pivotal moments, pivot points along the way. Hey, let's start a church. I've never done that before. Fear would tell me, what if no one comes? I don't think we can do that. Faith would say, yeah, but, but what if you end up reaching thousands of people for Jesus Christ? I guess, I don't, I don't know. Which way are you going to pivot? Fear of faith, fear of faith. Right? What, 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 if, what if, like, I'm not good enough to do it, and what if nobody listens to the preaching? Huh, maybe I shouldn't do it. Or what if over 4,400 people give their lives to Jesus Christ and make him Lord and Savior of their life? I don't know. What could happen? You see, what if has the power to, as long as it depends on your pivot, it depends on how you do it. Now, let me tell you what my pivot point is right now. It scares me to death. I believe the vision that God has given me and where we're going, that it's to reach thousands of people and to give millions away. Here, here's my pivot, right? So I feel like the next step for us was to build a building in Canal Winchester, and then there's more steps after that. And I've talked about that through Build the House. Now, here's, here's what I do. When fear takes over, I go, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this. I'm scared to death. Like, it's more comfortable being a building that you know you can afford than to build something you ever feel like that in your house. It's more comfortable to stay in a house you know you can afford than to, but I'm not sure, but we really want, I don't know. I, that's when fear takes over and I want to pivot and I want to say, oh, I don't know. And oh, by the way, when the ball isn't moving forward, because we had dealt with that and these delays for a long time, believe it or not, as hard as it is, it's also easier. 
because I don't have to, I, I, because I can just stay right here. But then all of a sudden, as we started to see things started to move forward, and we anticipate, and I hope to have good news very soon about having our civil permit, and all of a sudden, something's starting to move, and now I'm getting really scared, and now I'm thinking, oh no, what if, what if it's too big of a step? And what if, what if we bankrupt the church? I, I don't know. And what if people don't show up? And what if we build all this and we can't afford it? That's what fear wants to do in my life, but here's what I have to keep living every day, and that is I'm not going to live by what I see and what I feel, but I'm going to go by faith in what God has called me to so then when all of a sudden I pivot from that I start to say what if thousands more come and hear the gospel what if generations are changed because of this what if legacy is changed because of this what if it's not just one city but what if it propels us to reach tens of thousands of people for Jesus Christ what if we see tens of thousands get baptized what if we see people discipled and raised up and changed and grow now now that now that's something I want to pivot toward but you need to understand something. That moment is going to start with one small little step in the right direction. What I, what I see a lot today, if I could just be real honest with you, in the church, is there are a lot of Christians who, I believe in God, Jesus, but we pivot back. I'll let someone else do that. I, I'm just going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back. I'm going to sit in the seat. I'm going to stay on the sideline. I don't know that I'm good enough. You want me to run a camera? I, well, I, could, I don't know that it would be very good. Like, Pastor Tim moves around too much. I could never keep him in frame. I could never. <laughs> Sup, Lankster. I don't want to do that to you. Like, I, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know. The kids would see right through me. I don't know if I could be a high school group leader. What, what direction are you going to pivot? I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people that are, we're just living in a wilderness over and over again. And I think God will bring a word like this. Just imagine that today's word is a burning bush. And God is calling to you and he's saying, I have an assignment for you. Which way are you going to pivot? And, and Moses says, what, what if? What if they don't listen? And so here's what God does. This is so cool. The Lord speaks to him in verse and he, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. A stick. He didn't have a microphone, he had a stick. What's that in your hand? I did a message a couple years ago, I don't know if you all remember it. It was called, What's in Your Hand? Because I think a lot of times we think the greatest thing that we have to offer God is what's in your wallet. But I also think that the greatest thing maybe that you have to offer God is actually what's in your hand. In other words, what's in your possession? What did God make you and put in you to do? What's in your hand? Moses is like, I just got a stick. I mean, I'm just a shepherd. I just got a staff. I just, I can beat some wolves off and I can hook a sheep if they get too close to the edge. All I got is just a dumb stick. That's all I've got. And I think we're often very good at telling God, what we don't have. I, I, I just, I don't get it. It's a stupid stick. What do we can do with a stick? Can't do anything with a stick. This, I don't know. If we only had more money, if we only had more people, if I only had more time, if I only had more energy, if I only had more Sundays available, if I only had, you, you know, we're really good at telling God about all the things that we don't have. And I think God is oftentimes saying, what's in your hand? Well, I don't have much. Okay, but what do you have? It reminds me of the widow that approached the prophet Elisha when her husband died. 
and left her with two boys and creditors coming to take their boys. And Elisha says to her, what do you have in your possession? And she says, nothing. We got nothing except a small little jar of oil. We, we often downplay what it is that God has already given to us that could be used in a powerful way if we would take it and we would give it to him. If we would put it to use. What, what's in your hand? I, I just got a stick. Oh, okay, that's all you have is a stick. Well, in your hands, a stick is just a stick. But when you let God use you, and your stick, he can do something cool. And so God has to show him this. And in Exodus 4, 3 through 5, the Lord said, well, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. How many of you say amen? You would have run from it too. I wonder if he even could identify what kind of snake it was. Is it a pit viper? Is it a rattlesnake? Is it poisonous? Doesn't matter. And in verse 4, if that's not bad enough, then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Heck no, I'm out right at that point. It's like, come on, go ahead, Moses, pick it up. And you're like, mm-mm, get somebody else. That's what Moses feels. It says, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I'm convinced that what you have is already enough if you will put it in the hands of God. What you have is enough. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know enough verses. I don't know. No, what you have is enough if you will give it to God. The reason why a lot of Christians shrink back, pivot in the wrong way when it comes to their finances is because they're afraid they won't have enough. Well, I don't think I have enough. Why? It's a response of fear and not a response of faith. If you'll pivot by faith, what you'll discover is God said, I will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches. You got to pivot toward them by faith. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm not very good at any of this. And he's a preacher and she's good at that. And they're a great small group leader. And they're, I, what do I, I, I can't do anything. Hey, what you have is is already enough. In fact, I would say it's more than enough if you will put it in the hands of Jesus. Jesus could take five loaves of bread and two fish, and he could feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Well, I don't have enough. I know. The problem is you're looking at yourself, and you're not looking at a God who says, I am. I am. I am. As Moses says, well, that's a great trick and all. I mean, it's really cool, the snake thing, yeah. But you, you don't seem to understand. I'm not qualified. And so Moses says again to him, verse 10, listen to this. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Uh, um, and his mouth gets real dry. And he says, um, uh, um, uh, I, 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 I've never been very eloquent. I, I sometimes stutter when I talk. And uh, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. You mean like three minutes ago, Moses? Like, I'm not, like all of a sudden, I, I, I'm not a good orator. I am slow of speech and tongue. I can't speak that good. My grammar's not well. I get it wrong all the time. Like, I, I, I don't think I can do this. What's the problem, Moses? You again looking at what you can or can't do. I, I, I couldn't speak up on a stage. Well, maybe God's not called you to do that. 
Well, I'm, I'm not really good understanding the Bible. Why don't you stop telling God, this is our pivot, what you can't do. When God prompts your heart to do something, I never have enough money to go on a mission trip. Okay, that's a pivot of fear. Why not pivot by faith and say, okay, God, you're calling me to do it, then I trust that you're going to provide. That's a response of faith. And we don't do that enough, I think, sometimes in our lives. And when you don't do that, here's how you know, you will live a very average life as a Christian. No, it might, you might have a great job. You might make a good amount of money. You might drive a nice car. But guess what? You're living an average life when it comes to the supernatural and the power of God. And I just, I, I just want to believe that God's called us for more than that. And so God has to say back to Moses, he says in verse 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Do you think I know what you're capable of doing? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Listen, as long as you look at what you can't do, you're always going to pivot the wrong direction. God says, I know what you need before you even get there. I know you aren't capable of doing this, but I'm going to do it through you anyways. And oh, by the way, when I do, then you'll understand that you can never get the glory for it and only God. So this is a pivot point. Moses needs to pivot. When fear takes over, how do I know if fear is taking over in my life? Here's what you do. You start to write down your what if statements. Write them down. What if we can't? And what if we don't make it? And what if we don't have enough? When you see that, that's when you know you're pivoting in fear. You need, you need to pivot. I'm going to give you something to help you. I want you to write this down. This is so quick. It's easy and it's kind of dumb. But you're going to write it down and it's going to help you the next time you have an opportunity. When you have an opportunity, you need to pivot. And here's what I think pivot is. It is to put in view only truth. I know it's corny. I made it up but I think there's truth to it. Put in view only truth. When you're always thinking about what I can't do and this is what I'm not qualified to do and how you see yourself, put in view only God. That's the pivot, only truth. What did God say? God said, I am, I will be who I'll be and I will provide, I will take care of these things. We need to get the truth of God in our minds, in our spirit, not the fear that wants to take over. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.24 that the one who has called you to it is faithful and he will do it that's why first corinthians 2 9 says that listen no eye has seen no ear is here or mind conceived what god has prepared for those who love him philippians 1 6 says this i know that god who is who started a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion or ephesians 3 20 you need to start getting these things in your spirit now to him who is able to do amazingly immeasurably more than all i ask or imagine according to his power at work within me when you begin to get the truth of God inside of you, you're going to pivot towards your purpose. I just, I, I, I feel this so much. Like, why are you so loud today? Because I feel this so much in my spirit. There's so many Christians we're pivoting the wrong way, not toward God. We're not living by faith. We're living scared. We're not stepping out of the boat. We're not trusting God to provide. We are afraid. Because we are afraid, the church is not advancing God's kingdom like it could. I'm not saying that it's not. I just really feel like how much, how much greater could we be? 
Here's what I need you to understand. God doesn't need your strength. He needs your staff. That's it. Yeah. Moses, God doesn't need your eloquence. He just needs your mouth. What if I say the wrong thing when I invite him to church? Don't worry about it. He just needs your mouth. You don't need all the answers. Just open your mouth. You don't need to have it all figured out. Just step and do it. God doesn't need your perfection. He needs your effort. God doesn't need your ability. He just wants to have your availability. And so my challenge to you today is this. Are you pivoting towards your purpose? Oh, I got a great career. I didn't ask you that. Your career is not your purpose. But God can use your career to fulfill your purpose, but you got to look for it. Not everybody's called to full-time ministry. In fact, a very, very small number. And I thank God because you all have a greater opportunity to make an impact in your world than I do during the week. And so your career is not your purpose, but you could discover your purpose maybe in your career if you would pivot toward it and ask God, what is it? Is it serving some capacity? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4 that we're supposed to use the various gifts that God has put in us to serve one another, to demonstrate his grace. 1 Peter 4.10. Are you doing that? Or, or is the church just a place you attend on the weekend so you can come and eat a little bit and then go home? That's not the life I believe that God has for us. And so God had an assignment for Moses, and I came to, to tell you this. God has an assignment for you, and he's got one for me. And I'm trying to pivot toward my purpose. And I will try to lead our church to always pivot toward a purpose. And it scares me to death. But you know what? I would rather do that and fail than to shrink back in fear and not try. That's not what I'm going to do. That's not how I'm going to lead, just so you know. So I'm going to go forward. I'm going to pivot forward. And I want to invite you to pivot forward with me today. Come on, would you bow your heads and pray? Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask God that today's message would bother us. I, I, I just don't want us to go through life and feel like we wasted it. That we spent like Moses 40 years in the wilderness in a dead end job, feeling like we had no purpose or mission. I really believe God that you created each and every one of us for something greater than that. So God, I pray right now that by your spirit that you, would, that you would affect us so deeply that we would ask those questions. God, what are you impressing on my heart to do? And Lord, if we don't know, then God, would we just say, I'm available, use me any way you want. You know, church, that's a dangerous prayer to pray, but I believe it's also a powerful one to pray. God, God use me. God, I, I wanna be used by you in whatever way that you created me. If you begin to pray that and ask God and then ask your leaders and step out and say, what do you see in me? What can I do? God will give you the opportunity to do something great for his kingdom. God, we thank you for your word as challenging as it is. I pray that we would put it to use, that we would apply it today through the help of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only, our true Savior. And everyone said,
Come on, let's thank Jesus right now for this word today. Amen.